I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited about today, our first Lord's Table celebration together. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now, I know this may surprise many of you, but we're probably going to do it a little differently here at Grace Life. I know that's shocking, but we're going to do it a little different. My name is Joe Davis. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and we're so thankful that you're here for this first time of celebrating the Lord's Table together. Um, I've entitled today's message, Remembering Together. I'm going to read Matthew uh, 26, uh, verses 26 to 29 for you really quick, and we'll get to the other one in 1 Corinthians later. But let me read this. This is the account that Matthew gives of Jesus when he performed the first Lord's table. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and we had given thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So my goal today, and by the way, when we do the Lord's table, nobody should feel compelled or feel pressure to do something if you don't want to do it. So just want to make sure that you understand that. This is, this is not something that you have to do, that you're required to do. It's something that we hope that you'll want to do. <clears throat> and if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But my hope is that after teaching from a biblical perspective of what the Lord's table really is, you're going to think, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds cool. And we're going to be doing it in a very different way than you've ever seen before, I think. And so what I'm going to do today, though, one of our goals is to be biblical. And we've defined biblical as confronting all cultures with grace. So I'm going to confront you with grace today in this message. Those of you who already claim to know Jesus, I'm going to confront you with grace. And those of you that are still on your journey... I'm going to confront you with grace. And don't be afraid by that word confront. We tie it with grace on purpose. So let me give you, a, first of all, the historical overview of the Lord's table. <clears throat> it was a very unusual Passover. So what was happening, this is right before Jesus is to die. He's going to be arrested and he's going to be beaten and he's going to be convicted of a crime un, you know, unjustly. Then he's going to be put on the cross and die for us before he is resurrected three days later. But this is the Passover right before that. It's a very unusual Passover. Just to give you some idea, what the Jewish people would celebrate with the Passover is the time when the Lord, the angel of the, the angel of the Lord, came over, and he was going to um, help getting the Jewish people to help them to escape from Egypt. And what would happen is he would pass over houses, and if and if the Jewish houses had painted a cross over their house with the blood of a lamb, the angel of death would pass over. And their children would be safe. And so the Jewish people, even to this day, celebrate what they call the Passover. Well, this is Passover, but what Jesus is about to do is change it. So the, this Passover, they were all together. It was very surprising. Because you understand, the first Lord's table wasn't planned. They got together, as good Jewish people would, to celebrate the Passover. And they're together in this room with Jesus, all the disciples, and many other people who are following. And Jesus kind of springs it on them. They were very unsuspecting about the symbolism that Jesus was about to teach them. And that brings me to my second point about the first Lord's table. It was very symbolic. And what Jesus does is he uses this bread and wine to identify with and remember the cross. The bread saying, this is the body of my body that will be broken for you. 
And this is my blood which will be shed for you. And he says, these symbols are to remind you of the cross. And in the middle of teaching this symbolism, their thought process was, what do you mean your body's going to be broken? What do you mean your blood's going to be shed? What are you talking about, Rabbi? What are you saying? And so therefore, it was also not only surprising and symbolic. You like how I put all the S's in the front? Isn't that good right there? I hope you remember. It was somber. It took me three hours to come up with the third word, but I finally got it. <laughs> surprising and symbolic was easy. Somber. Jesus reveals his fate. He reveals in the actual Lord's Supper. Now, some disciples may have suspected this was going to happen, but many of them were not really sure what was going on. And what he does is he says in this first Lord's table, this is the deal. I'm going to have to die. Now, I'll come back because he says, I'll drink this this cup with you again in heaven. But I'm going to have to die first because I'm going to change the Passover. I'm going to radically transform why and how you celebrate Passover. I'm going to be the lamb whose blood is painted on the door. That's what he's saying. Remember in the Passover when they take the lamb and they sacrifice it and they put the blood on the door and the angel of death would pass over the house? I am that lamb. And I'll be painted on the door of your hearts. And this left his disciples a bit dazed and confused. As a matter of fact, that's when they wrote the song that Led Zeppelin later covered, Days and Confused. That's when they wrote it. <laughs> just a joke, people. It's just joking. I didn't mean to invoke Led Zeppelin at a church service. I shouldn't do that. It's Grace Life. We can do it. All right. They were a little bit confused. They were a little dazed. They were a little concerned. It was a troubling evening for them. Think about this. This guy they've been following for three years, and they're buying into just about everything he says Except for this part. Wait a minute. You're going to die? So this ends as a very troubling evening for them. Can you imagine the questions going on in their head? Surely he's got this wrong. And then we know the story what happens. He does die and the disciples are scared and, and they're in hiding and they don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. And then the Lord resurrects three days later. And he comes back and he spends time with them over the course of several weeks. And they get to talk with him and see him. And he explains about the Holy Spirit. And then he goes up and ascends into heaven. And then this movement called the church explodes. Thousands and thousands of people rejecting their earthly rabbis and embracing a heavenly one, being baptized in his name. And the scripture says in Acts 2, every day they would go around from house to house breaking bread together. We'll get to that in a minute. But the Lord's table became this this regularly celebrated symbol of remember the lamb. Remember the cross. But now I want to talk about a little bit more history. As the gospel started going to non-Jewish people like the Corinthian church, people who were Gentiles who didn't understand temple worship and all these things, and they were taught... Okay, you've accepted the gospel. Let me tell you about the Lord's table. And they explained it. And what began to happen is the Lord's table began to get corrupted. As a matter of fact, we know this 
that just about everything the Corinthian church touched got corrupted in many respects. I'm going to read to you this passage in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 22. And Paul is writing them about a bunch of things they got wrong. Talking about tongues and talking about how you treat each other, talking about immorality, talking about how their worship service has become sort of pagan. And that had creeped into their Lord's table. Here's what he says. <clears throat> Regarding this next item, I'm not at all pleased. Uh-oh. When an apostle starts a letter with that, you know he's got some problems. I am getting the picture that when you meet together, it brings out the worst side instead of your best. First, I get this report on your divisiveness, competing with and criticizing each other. Now, I'm reluctant to believe it, but there it is. It's evident. The best that can be said for it is that the testing process will bring truth into the open and confirm it. The only thing good about the situation is that it has revealed what your real problems are, Corinth. And then verse 20, he says, And then I find that you bring your divisions to your worship of all places. You come together, and instead of eating the Lord's Supper, you bring a lot of food from the outside, and you make pigs to yourself, of yourself, sorry, not to, of. Let me rephrase that. You bring a lot of food from the outside, and you make pigs of yourselves. Some are left out and go home hungry. Others of you have to be carried out. You're too drunk to walk. I can't believe you've done this to the Lord's table. Don't you have your own homes to eat in or to drink in? Why would you stoop to desecrating God's church with this action? Why would you actually shame God's poor that are among you? I never would have believed you would stoop to this. And I'm not going to stand by and say nothing. See, the Corinthians, like almost everything else, had corrupted the Lord's Supper. The influence of pagan rituals around them had seeped into every aspect of their church life, including the Lord's table. And they had turned this into a gluttonous feast ignoring the sacredness of the occasion and the symbols of the cross, and they turn it into what I like to call filthy thanksgiving. That's what it was really coming around to being, a filthy thanksgiving. And those with money would eat all the food and not leave enough for the poor members of the church. In fact, some of themselves, some of them had been gorging themselves so much that they were getting sick from it. This prevented the church from celebrating the memory of the cross together, which was the whole point, of course, in the first place, right? And Paul wanted, to ex wanted them to examine themselves and come to the table in humility. So he gives some instructions in um, 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 34. I'm going to read a little bit longer, but I'll try to read it as interestingly as I can so you don't fall asleep. Okay, listen. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in humble awe. If you give no thought, or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, 
you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you even now are listless and sick. In other words, you're eating yourself to death and drinking yourself drunk. And others have gone to an early grave because of it. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on, he says. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery condemnation later. So my friends, when you come together to the Lord's table, be reverent and courteous and kind with one another. If you're so hungry that you can't wait to be served, go home, get a sandwich. <laughs> I changed that a little bit. So. <laughs> but by no means risk turning this meal into an eating and drinking binge or some sort of family squabble. It is a spiritual meal. It is supposed to be a love feast. So what Paul basically says is, look, first thing you're going to do is make others more important during the Lord's table. Serve each other first, he says. Some of you are so hungry, you want to eat before anyone else. That's kind of like me at a buffet. My wife will tell you, whenever somebody says, okay, it's time to eat, this is the, this is the awkward part for me. Like, you know, you're at like a reception or someplace, and they say it's time to eat, and everybody's afraid to be the first one. Why are you people afraid? It's not the Lord's table. Go eat. Don't make me first every time, please. I'm sick of it. But he says, serve each other first and yourself last. Make others more important. You know what else he says? Don't let religion leave anyone out. Make sure that your celebration is inclusive, not exclusive. Don't make the Lord's table something that just people that feel like they're really walking with Jesus. And by the way, we all struggle with that. And all of us are really bad at our walk with Jesus because that's why we need grace. It's not just for people who really think they have it together that day. Don't let your religion be exclusive. And the next thing he says is, Make changes or you will experience consequences. If you continue to miss what the Lord's table symbolizes and allow it to become a place of division instead of unity, a place of selfishness instead of serving, your church will fall apart because it will be very evident that the love of Jesus is not in you in the first place. And imagine, see how he describes what's going on in Corinthians? It was actually the opposite of what the Acts chapter 2 church looked like. We'll talk about that in a minute. So let's move on to the theological part of this lesson today. The Lord's table is about people, not religion. It's about people, not ritual. It's about the people of God, not the rules of God. Paul's point is not that perfection is required or that all of your relationships are 100% right before you're worthy to participate then we'd never be able to take it. Some of you are mad at me all the time. Did you say that's true? Somebody just said that's true over there. <laughs> Who said that? That's true. He's not saying, look, you better be in a good place. As a matter of fact, I would say if you're in a bad place, the Lord's table's just the right place for you. It is the place you should come because it reminds us of what Jesus did to reconcile us, not only to his father, but to each other. 
He is pointing out that we strive to come to the Lord's table with all the focuses that we have learned about in Philippians. Remember those? Loving through sacrifice, sharing our suffering, loving each other because of the common bond of the gospel, with relentless affection and affectionate accountability, and having hope that our faith is, endur is durable, that we have endurance. All these things that we talked about over 10 weeks of Philippians, and if you haven't seen them all, please, I encourage you to go look on YouTube or a podcast and listen, because they really do set the vision for what we want our relationships to be like here at Grace Life. We want them to be very different. It was given to us by Jesus to be reminded of the importance of our unity, our humility, our gratitude. I love that word. When we reflect on the cross. And it was designed to be something that helps grow us closer together, not point out how some of us are at different levels. It is supposed to be something that is not a liturgical private, personal ritual. It was supposed to be a symbol of united, welcoming, growing vulnerability with each other in the church. Never anywhere in the scripture does it say, take the bread and the wine, go off into a corner by yourself. It doesn't say that. It says do it together. As a matter of fact, let me read to you the description of how they did it in Acts chapter 2. It's really something. This is the early church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And they were the, to the breaking of the bread together and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. All not as in fear, but all as in, can you believe what God is doing in and through us? It's unbelievable. And many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And had all things in common, voluntarily. And they were selling everything they had and all their belongings and taking what they brought in and distributing the things to those who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes every day. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's what the Lord's table looked like. It was probably loud sometimes. Right? Sometimes people probably spilt stuff on the carpet. They were laughing. Can you believe what the cross did for us? I can't believe the cross has brought us together like this. And look what God is doing to use us in the lives of those around us in our town. All right, you ready for the devotional? Unite, remember. See, remember's on there twice. That's because I really want you to remember it. No, that's a typo. Unite, remember, serve, and encourage. See, when the focus of the Lord's table is a love affair with the ritual, listen carefully. When the focus of the Lord's table is a love affair with the ritual, the table becomes a distraction. We start worshiping the symbols on the table 
instead of remembering the cross, which was designed to bring us all together on equal footing. So let me explain it this way. You know, the early church sounded pretty exciting, right? The early church wasn't exciting because they were celebrating the Lord's table. They were celebrating the Lord's table because the early church was exciting. Do you see the difference? It was the church first leading to the Lord's table. The Lord's table didn't make them a church. The Lord's table was just a reminder of what made them the church, the cross. The table isn't miraculous. The table isn't magical. The table isn't inspired. It is a symbol of what is miraculous. Is it a symbol of what is transforming in our lives? It is a symbol of what is inspired. It is a symbol of the uniting power of the cross. And I will tell you, when religious piety, liturgical obsession, and spiritual narcissism become more important at the Lord's table than the people of God, then our Lord's table will be corrupted. It loses its powerful symbolism. It becomes about our own religious activity rather than a reminder of the work of Jesus on the cross. So we are trying to create a devotional application today of the Lord's table that will tie back into our study of Philippians in our first 10 weeks of existence. And that is love based on the gospel, acknowledging the gospel in others. I'm thankful that the cross has gave you to me. We're talking about suffering together. By remembering the sufferings of Jesus, we can remember that our suffering can be a gift to others. We want to make sure that we never have depravity amnesia, forgetting about our own depravity. We want to have relentless affection, affectionate accountability, Passion for truth. In other words, no dogs. We will stand for the gospel. We will abandon religious confidence. We will trust our durable faith. And we will exhort or call on each other side by side. And then lastly, we will live in gratitude. Which means what? Good grace. I mean, what is the point, guys, of learning these things in our sermons? if we don't apply them to each other in the safety of this room. I mean, it's going to be hard enough out there on 41, trust me. <laughs> but honestly, if we can't apply the lessons from Philippians to each other in this room, when will we ever be able to do it? This is the confronting you in grace part, by the way. So what I'd like for us to do as we celebrate the Lord's table today is I want to engage each other with it. As we do it. So let me give you some examples. I'm going to ask you to do this in a minute. In the buckets, there are these individual uh, uh, Lord's Table kits, right? On the top, if you, if you undo the top part, don't open it yet. If you undo the top part, there's a little, like the, the wafer. By the way, if you're gluten-free, there's a gluten-free option in the back. Uh, you can peel it off, and there's a cracker on the top, and then you can peel another thing off, and there's the, the grape juice. Okay? Let me explain how this is going to work. I'm going to ask you to take one out of the bucket. The one you take out is not for you. Do you hear what I said? Here's what's going to happen. Listen carefully. Uh-oh. Uh, you're, okay, yeah. Don't, don't open it. You're going to take the one you, you took out, find a person next to you, 
They can be a person you know really well or a stranger. I don't care. And you will serve them. And then when you're done, the other person will serve you. We're going to take about two minutes for this, and let me explain to you why it's going to take a two minutes. If you get done quickly, feel free to, to uh, just kind of hang out, let the room fill with the conversations of God's people, kind of like we do from 10 to 10.30 on Sundays. People talking to each other. Because today, it's not going to be designed to be a somber, quiet Lord's table. We will do that at some point, for sure, because the Lord's table is definitely very flexible in that. But today, it's going to be about unity and fellowship and reminding us of the cross. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a guide to what you'll say to each other, okay? When you're first serving the person next to you, you'll say, this is a reminder. You'll hand it. This is a reminder of the work of Jesus on the cross. And as that person hands it, you will take the the body of Christ represented by the, the bread, and you'll drink the grape juice. And you'll both do that. And then after you've done that, I would like both of you, and however, whatever words you want to use, i just give you some examples. We'll leave them on the screen the whole time, by the way. I'm thankful that the cross has made you part of my life. So you're going to serve each other today. It'll be a little different, you know. We're not going to have lines form. We're not going to be in a situation where everybody has to be, okay, I don't want to make any undue noise. It'll be a little bit, there'll be a little dull roar in the room, and I'm okay with that this time. And that's how we're going to do it. But what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a little symbol, an, an explanation of how the Lord's table works. I hope I don't spill this on anyone, so... I'm just going to read from Matthew 26 again. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And after a blessing, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples. He said, I want you to take this bread and eat it. It represents my body, which will be broken for you. Then after he had distributed the bread and they had eaten the bread and been reminded of the symbol of his body, he took a cup and he poured it and he said, this cup is the covenant of my blood. No, 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 I did that on purpose. No, I didn't, just kidding. This is the covenant of my blood. And he says, it was poured out for you. Every time you drink it, Do this in remembrance of me. So again, my goal today was to hope to convince you that it's okay for you to be a part of the unifying table of the Lord. Christians, serve one another.